Old Testament reading this morning is from Psalm 4. I'm going to ask you to please turn with me in your Bibles, if you have them this morning, to Psalm chapter 4. And uh, just before we read it, just a little bit of, of context. Uh, Psalm 3 and 4 are composed by David while he was on the run. I just want you to get this and understand this. Know this deep down that he was exiled from Jerusalem, kicked out as king, just grabbed what he could and and get out into the desert because he was being pursued by his own son. His own son wanted to to kill him, get rid of him, and take over in that way. So I just want you to note that he's on the run, he's in the desert. At that time, he has, we would almost say, he has the right, you know, to, to, to complain and to, to cry out to God, what's going on here, Lord, and what's happening here, God, and, and I mean, why'd you do this to me? But I want you to, to take note of the tone that David takes in this particular psalm, that even in the midst of those trials and tribulations, just think about the heaviness, think about your own kid wanting to do you in, getting rid of you, take, pu- pushing you out. And yet David's able to pen these words, and he says this, Psalm 4, answer when I call, O my God of righteousness, for you have given me relief when I was in distress. Be gracious to me and hear my prayer. O men, how long shall my honor be turned to shame? How long will you love vain words and seek after lies? But know that the Lord has set apart the godly for himself. The Lord hears when I call to him. Be angry and do not sin. Ponder in your own hearts on your beds and be silent. Offer right sacrifices and put your trust in the Lord. There are many who say, who will show us some good. Lift up the light of your face upon us, O Lord. You have put more joy in my heart than when they have, than when, sorry, you have put more joy in my heart than they have when their grain and wine abound. In peace I will both lie down and sleep. For you alone, O Lord, make me to dwell in safety. Amen and praise God. That line that I messed up, that's a line I really wanted you to get. That joy that he puts in his heart in the midst of pain. Now over to Luke chapter 2, very familiar section of scripture as we think about the incarnation, the birth of Jesus Christ. We're going to really focus in on one verse this morning, but uh, just to give, again, a little more context, we'll begin in verse 8 and read through verse 14. This is the word of the Lord, and he's speaking to the shepherds on that fateful night. In the same way, I'm sorry, in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field keeping watch over their flock by night, and an angel of the Lord appeared to them. And the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You'll find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts praising and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. Father in heaven, we do thank you and praise you so much for your precious word. Thank you, Lord, for this opportunity to preach your word, to hear your word, to receive your word. And I pray that by your spirit you would illuminate our hearts, that you would give us wisdom and understanding, that we would be engaged in every aspect of our being, in our minds, and our hearts, 
thinking about these things, Lord, learning and being transformed by your spirit, understanding the nature of the hope that we have in Jesus Christ, rejoicing in that, and then living accordingly. So, Lord, please be with all of us this morning. Be with me as I bring your precious word, Lord God. May it do justice to you. May you be pleased and honored, even as we all sit at the feet of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. All right. Well, this is just the greatest event, I would say, greatest event in the history of the world as God comes to us. Now, I know some of the theologians out there might say, I don't know, Pastor, because you have the, the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. That single event's amazing as well. I would just say to that, he had to come before he could die and be raised. Uh, so he's here, but I don't want to quibble. This is absolutely, though, the most significant birth of all time, of all time, because of who he is and what he's done for sinners like us. Amen and praise God. We can all agree on that. So just we get into this, I just want to look at verse 10, really, and and as as the angels come to the shepherds and and make their announcement to them, I'm just going to unfold or unpack uh, these questions. A couple of verses, 10 and 11, especially this morning. So, greatest event in world's history. First thing he does is the words of comfort. It's in night. Shepherds are out at night. You could picture the scene, quiet night, almost like any other night that the shepherds would be out there tending their flocks, going about their business, and all of a sudden, an angel appears to them, and we're told that they're filled with filled with great fear. Of course, you could understand that, right? You're not surprised at their initial reaction, <laughs> you would be afraid too if the angels come to you. We're afraid, you know, if you see like a raccoon in your yard and you're back there, you run back into your house, let alone an angel coming in all his glory and seeing this. So what is so amazing here, the first thing I want you to think about and take away this morning is just how gracious and loving and comforting the Lord is towards us. Look at these words of comfort that the angel brings. After this initial reaction, that great fear was like scared to death, terrified, frozen with fear. And the very first thing that the angel does is he allays their fear. Even before announcing the good news, he puts their fears to rest. And don't you love that? He's thinking about their he knows that they're going to react. And so he's thinking about their state of mind even at that point. And, and what I just call this a very tender imperative. When you think about an imperative, you know, that command to do something, usually it's kind of, I don't know, rough or, or strict, you know, like if a kid is running in the streets, stop, don't go there, you know, that, that's the imperative to stop. Or you say, oh, you get over here, right? That's that, that command, those, 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 those imperatives that, that are put out here. But this is a, a tender, a tender imperative. And, and he says to them, the angel of the Lord said to them, fear not, don't be afraid, for behold, I bring good news of great joy. So right away, you see that that comforting, that calming effect as he's thinking about them before he even gives them this wonderful news. And that's just so amazing and beautiful. I just don't want you to miss that because it is so tender. And it's so like the Lord to, to come and allay our fears, that calming, you don't need to be afraid. I was watching a show the other night where a woman was held captive and, you know, it was a very desperate situation, dark situation, blindfolded, her mouth was gagged and she was in this dark, lonely place, scared to death. And then all of a sudden a noise comes, a door breaks open, and then you hear these words, don't be afraid. 
I'm here. I'm a good guy. I'm here to help you out. Don't you love that? Just that sense, because she's terrified, so afraid for her life. And you hear those words, don't be afraid. I'm here for you. Right? That just, that just disarms and a calming, calming effect. And the opposite of that with evil, just remember this and know this, evil always wants you to be afraid. When evil comes, they want you to be in fear. They want you to be subject to fear. They want you to be terrified, to be paralyzed with your fear. But it's not so with the Lord. Right away, it's calming effect. Again, another imperative. He says, behold. When he says, look, he's saying, look, I want you to hear this. Don't be afraid, but listen. Listen to this. Here's good news. Know this for certain. Behold, I bring you good news. Know this for sure. Know this for certain. So he calms them down, and then he goes on to make the greatest pronouncement ever made. It just is. No question, no doubt. I don't think you want to argue with me on this if you're a Christian this morning. He says, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people. For unto you was born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. That's a pronouncement. That is the greatest pronouncement ever made of the Lord coming to his people. And he gives such words of hope for a lost humanity. That's the first thing I really want you to see about this. He says, I bring you good news. I'm bringing you good news. We love news. News is just information. What makes it so wonderful is the adjective that describes what kind of news it is, the the kind of news he's about to give, the kind of news it's about to be given. You love receiving good news, don't you? I love it. Yeah, don't we love it? Hey, she... You have a baby girl who's healthy. Yes, that's good news, you know, when the the baby's born. You just received a large inheritance. That's good news. We like that news. That would be good news for us. You know, uh, there's a storm and, you know, you get the phone call. He made it home safely. Ah, good news. We love good news. But of all the good news that we may receive, nothing compares, nothing can match, nothing can eclipse this news that the angel is about to deliver. Why? Because all the other news, no matter how good it might be, the other good news that we might receive, it is temporal. It is temporary, right? Even the best news that you receive doesn't last forever. And it can't give you everlasting hope. It helps in the moment. It may help for a time, but it doesn't bring forever peace. That's what this good news does. It brings forever peace and everlasting hope. The best news of this world is temporary. It changes. It gets overshadowed all the time. You know this. This good news never fades never wavers, and never changes. It holds hope for those who have it for this life. If you're a Christian, you have hope right now, but not just for now, even better, for all eternity. Right? That's the good news. I have good news for you, the angel says. You listen. Be calm. Don't be afraid. I have good news of great joy. Again, we hope in this. That word for great is mega in the Greek. It means exceedingly great amazingly great, fantastically great, the greatest news or the the greatest comfort you could receive. And it has the idea attached to it that it's a it's a joy that's indwelling. It's a joy that's not going to fade away permanently and fully. It's amazing. It's built into that, that idea. That idea is built into that word that this is great joy. It can never be fully or finally removed. It's always there. Joy, contentment that the world experiences. Like if you're not a Christian, of course you can experience joy. But you know what? 
that's always fleeting. The joy that we experience, again, just like we mentioned earlier, that joy that we experience depends on our circumstances. If something good happens, we're happy. We feel joy. It's all good. Our circumstances are good. But see, our circumstances change. And so we never experience the fullness of joy, that deep abiding joy that just is there no matter what, apart from Christ. Even in the best of times, even if the best thing happens and you have such joy in that moment, deep down, and you know this in your heart of hearts, there's still like an uneasiness. Well, how long can this last? Or, or you know, I'm, I'm, you're still kind of insecure about it and you're still unsure about it. So you don't have that deep and abiding joy. It fades because it depends on our circumstances. This joy that the angel's talking about, this joy doesn't depend on our circumstances. It doesn't matter if things are going well or they're not going so well. Why? It depends, that joy depends on the one who stands above our circumstances, the one who's in the midst of our circumstances. He's the source of our joy, so nothing can rob us of our joy ultimately. Amen? And praise God to that. If you're a Christian, you know that this morning. That's why I wanted to read from Psalm 4, that verse that I messed up. That's what was going on there. That's what David was saying. He's being pursued. He's he's kicked out. He's on the run. Things are not good from a from a a human perspective. We would not say he's in a great place. His life's endangered. He has nothing. Everything he's used to is taken away from him at that time. And yet he says in verses 7 and 8, we'll put it up there again, we'll try to do better. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a... I'm sorry, did I say Psalm 4? Did I I give you Psalm 4 this morning? Okay, (laughs) because I read it. I do want to go back and read it because you do need to hear it. In Psalm 4, in that... At that very time, at that very moment, that very desperate time, he says, you have put more joy in my heart than they have when their grain and wine abound. You've put more joy in my heart. Just juxtapose that situation, desperate situation. No no earthly way you should have joy at that time. And yet he says, I have more joy than at any other time, like when the harvest comes in and there is abundance. That's the joy that abounds. That's the joy that he gives us. So that good news results in great joy. And then he goes on and says this, Fear not, behold, I bring you good news, great joy, that will be for all the people. Amen, and praise God. This joy is not just for, you know, these people over here or those people over there. This news is for all people, every single person. This is it. It's exclusive. And that's what I want you to understand about this. It's exclusive. It's found in him alone, right? It's for all the people. All the people need to turn to him. And that babe in the manger, that's why this is the most significant birth of all time, ever, right? Because he's the only one. It's for all people everywhere. Every person everywhere needs to turn and repent and believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what makes it good news, that it's exclusive in him. You know, there have been a lot of people, there have been a lot of significant births in the history of this world that have added so much, right? To, to, to life, to humanity. So many who've, who've added through inventions, through discoveries, through advancements in medicine, science, technology. We could think of so many. Man, that person who was born, what a wonderful person that was. He discovered this. She did this to advance in, the, in this area. And we've learned so much and it's helped so much. It's given us so much understanding and it's added to the quality of life. And we admire those people and the names are endless. We could, so many significant births. But of all the births, none are more significant, important, or necessary 
than Jesus Christ. Not simply to advance humanity. That's what everybody else's birth will do. will advance humanity. But he came to save humanity. And that's the big difference. No matter who is born apart from Christ, you can't save humanity. Only Christ does that. And he gives everlasting life. This birth is for all people. Good news. Great joy for all people. And then he gives those words of hope. He goes on to say this. I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people. For unto you was born this day in the city of David. Let's stop right there. This day. And this grounds this idea in history. This isn't a fantasy. This isn't a myth. It's not mythology. It's not just some you know, person's kind of making this up. It is grounded in history. This is why it's good news. This is why it brings great joy. Because it's grounded in reality. And he's saying on this particular night, at this particular time, at this point in time in history, is when God, and now think of this, wrap your minds and hearts around this, when God, God the Son, enters into his creation, the day that he takes on a human nature, the day when he fully identifies with our lost condition and with sinners like us, so to save his people. That's the announcement. That's what's going on in the city of David, born this day unto you, this point in history. This is who he is. And we have scriptures that teach all of this. Isaiah 7.14 says this, Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they will call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. Philippians chapter 2, verses 5-7, through seven, Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, didn't count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself by taking the form of a bondservant, being born in the likeness of men. He laid aside, he veiled his glory for our salvation. Hebrews two seventeen. Therefore, he had to be made like his own brothers in every respect. Why? So that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation for the sins of his people. This is why he came on that day. He was born that day. Galatians 4, 4, and 5. But when the fullness of time had come and the perfect plan of God God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. And finally, Matthew one twenty one: she will bear a son and you will call his name Jesus, for it is he who will save his people from their sins. And so there it is. There is that. That's the reality of this. That And you see the juxtaposition, the humiliation and the exaltation. That babe and that lowly major receives heavenly worship. As, as the angels begin to worship it. That helpless babe is the savior of the world. That little baby would be worshiped by kings in just a little bit. The city of David, that's Bethlehem, and that's significant because that gives us a marker. That's historical. That's reality. These are real people. It's not made up. It's not a fantasy. It's not myth like people like to say. Oh, it's mythological. People just made this up. There's really no... No, it is historical. These are real people, real places, actual events. And just a side note, every time a discovery is made in archaeology, every single time a discovery is made, it confirms exactly what the Bible teaches. And then people say, oh, wow, isn't that amazing? How can that be? And we're like, we knew it all along, because it said there's not one time, one discovery that has contradicted the Word of God. Believe me, you would know. It would be out there. It confirms it. It confirms, oh, we just found this. There's no King David. Oh, we found something with the name of King David on it now. 
Right? So we see it. We understand. There are no such thing as the Hittites. The Bible can't be true because the Hittites never existed. You know, the Hittites are one of the most well-known civilizations in all the world now because of the archaeology. They found the entire um, civilization of the Hittites. But on and on it goes. These are real people, real places, actual events based on promises and prophecies that had long before been given and now fulfilled as we've seen. Right? We saw that in... Um, Isaiah 7, we also see it in 2 Samuel 7, 13. This is the royal line of Christ. He's speaking to David. He says, when your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, I'll raise up your offspring after you who shall come from your body, like from your line, from your loins, and I will establish his kingdom. He's not just talking about Psalm. He's not just talking about the next slide. It goes way beyond that. He shall build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom. For how long? Forever. How long did the kingdom of Israel last? Not forever, but the kingdom of Christ does. He would be born in Bethlehem, Micah 5.2. But you, O Bethlehem, Ephraim, you are too little to be among the clans of Judah. From you shall come forth from me one who is to be a ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is from old, from ancient of days. We can go on and on. We can multiply these kinds of verses. So it's I'm just grounding it in reality. This is the real thing. Okay? It's not just something that's made up. It's historical. It was promised. It was prophesied. It comes to fruition. We see it. And that's for our benefit, isn't it? That's amazing. His word should be good enough, but he gave promises from hundreds of years before that come to fruition and truth. Well, many more could be added on that. Who's the one that this good news is all about? Right? This good news is all about someone. This great joy that brings great joy for all people. Every single person needs him. Born in Bethlehem, that babe in the manger. Think of the babe in the manger and understand who he is. Number one, he says this, Don't be afraid. I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you born this day in the city of David is a Savior. He's Savior. That's the first title he gives. He is a Savior. Why is he a Savior? Because you need a savior. Because we need a savior. You need, because you're a sinner and you need salvation. You need to be saved. Why do you need a savior? He's a savior because you are unable to save yourself. You cannot rescue yourself. You can't redeem yourself. You can't rely on yourself to get to heaven or to that place where God is. You need a savior because you can't work your way out of your predicament. You can't be good enough. You can't do enough to satisfy justice. You can't be perfect in that way. Tell me one time, one day where you haven't sinned in your mind, in your, in your words, or in your deeds. One time. Maybe in the last 10 minutes. Right? Please. The, You can't work your way out of this predicament. You need a Savior. He is the Savior. You can't hope your way out of your dilemma. I mean, I hear people all the time say, so what happens when you die? Well, I hope I'm going to go to heaven. I hope I'm going to go to the better place. Well, what makes you say that? Well, you know, I hope I've done more good than bad. I hope God grades on a curve. How many of you have heard heard that? You know, I'm hoping that. I hope I might be in luck if you does. See, you need a Savior because you can't. You'll never cut it because the standard is perfection. You can ignore, you may ignore, you may pretend that you're just fine. And you're going along just fine. My life is fine. I'm not in any trouble. I do good. I'm a pretty nice person. You might go on, but it doesn't change the fact 
that you're a sinner. You can ignore and pretend you're just fine, but it doesn't change the fact that you're not fine. You are not. You could run on for a long time, like the song says, but sooner or later, God will cut you down. There's a hiker. There's a hike. You, you could ignore, if you're hiking, you could ignore or pretend that you're not being stalked by a bear when you're actually being stalked by a bear. You could just say, and there were people say, well, I'm just going to pretend that he's not even there. <laughs> you know, I'm just going to, you know, I'm not really being, fun. and you try to convince yourself. You could ignore or pretend that he's not being stalked by a bear, but it doesn't change the reality that you're being stalked by a bear. You can pretend that you're not. You can think that you're fine. It doesn't change the fact that you are a sinner in need of a savior. That's why Jesus came. That's a big deal. And it's an insult when you say, oh, I don't really need a Savior. I could do this on my own because he came to save sinners like you and me. He's the only one that can do it. And so many people just reject that. But he was born because you need a Savior to rescue you from that which you could never rescue yourself. You can never do for yourself. He came and he kept the law perfectly. You have broken God's law. You break it every single day. We break it daily. He kept it perfectly. Hebrews 4.15 tells us this. We don't have a high priest who's unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who's been tempted in every respect, every respect as we are yet without sin. Yet without sin. That makes all the difference. He's tempted like us, yet without sin. He kept it for us. He took your place. He took... This, the, the punishment that your sin deserves when he was on the cross and he paid for, paid the price for the sin, for sinners, for all who believe in him. This, the, he substituted himself. He atoned for, for the sins of those who would believe in him, those who trust in him. First Peter 2.24. He himself bore our sins in his body. See, that's what you, he took our sins in his body that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed. See, that's where our redemption is. That's where our hope lies. He took the sin, the punishment our sins deserve. So either you're going to pay for your sins or you're going to trust in the one who has paid for sins. That's Jesus Christ. That's it. There's no other way. Being raised on the third day, 1 Peter 1.3. He, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. He's alive. He's a living Savior. That babe in the manger would live a perfect life, die a substitutionary death, be buried, and then he would be raised up on the third day. That babe in the manger is not just any old Savior. Like, oh, well, I trust in this person. No, he is the only Savior. We know this as he says this. In the city of David, a Savior who is Christ. Who is Christ? He is the Christ. In other words, it's not just any Savior, but the Savior. He is the Christ. He is the anointed one. He is the unique Son of God. He is Messiah. Not one of many, but the only way. So that's why John 3.16 says this. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. The monogenes, his one and only Son, his unique Son. Acts 4.12. There's salvation in no one else. For there's no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. It's very exclusive. That's it. There's no other way. It's Jesus Christ or bus. It's Jesus Christ or hell. John 14.6. Jesus himself said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. See, he is the Christ. 
He is the Savior. He is the one. He is the only way. And I know that's not popular today. That's This is not a popular sentiment. It's not a popular statement in this day and age and what we live. We live in a pluralistic society, a pluralistic world that says, look, as long as you believe in something and you practice that something the best that you can, and maybe where it intersects with Christianity, you might be, you know, look favorably upon. That's not what the Bible teaches. Just those few verses should tell you that, but that's the whole tenor of Scripture. He is the Christ. It's only Jesus. Christ. He is Messiah. You can't say, well, you have your way, I have my way. As long as you practice faithfully what you believe, then you'll find salvation. That's a misnomer. That's not what the Bible teaches. It sounds nice to many people. It sounds very charitable and it sounds good, but Christianity is exclusive. There's only one way. There's only one Savior, and His name is Jesus Christ. If you don't bow the knee and bend the knee, repent and believe on Him, you will not be in the presence of the Lord but under his wrath. There's no other. And let me tell you why. Because your sin is against your creator. That's why. You've sinned against him, and you need to be reconciled to him. You need to be reconciled through him and by him. Right? You can't do that on your own. Becoming one with nature will not keep you out of hell. Planting a tree and saying, you know, I'm, I'm doing my, my best to preserve the environment and, and I'm being com- becoming one in nature and Mother Nature smiling on me, that's not going to get you to heaven. Only faith in Christ will. Practicing a religion that's antithetical to Christianity, that says there's another way, somebody other than, than Christ, is not going to get you to heaven. Why do you need to be reconciled to Buddha or to Allah? Your sin is not against them. Your sin is against your creator, almighty God, who sent his son to live and to die and to be raised for you. That's a big, big deal. He is Christ. He is the Lord. There is no other. The promised one, God's only begotten son, was born on that day. That babe in the manger, then, is the very king of kings. He goes on to say this. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this is the last title. That little baby in the manger is King of King and Lord of Lords. That little babe in the manger has authority over every single person, place, and thing in this universe. He is above all. That little baby in the manger is above everything. Highest king, to be praised, to be honored. To be. He is the preeminent one. He is the king. And just in a short while, wise men, kings from the east would come and they would bow down and give him their gifts because that's who he is. They were given that by the Lord to understand who Christ truly is. That's why these people bowed down and went away worshiping and glorifying God in the highest because that little babe in the manger is the king of kings. He is the Lord of lords. He is the preeminent one. And he is the king. And as that king, you know what he does? He subdues us. What's a king do? A king a king conquers. That's what he does. A king goes and conquers enemies and, and defends his people. So Christ as king conquers us. He conquers his people. How does he do that? He does that through his love, through his mercy, and through his grace. He captures your heart. If you're a Christian this morning, you know you've been crushed by him in the best way. You know you've been conquered by his love and his mercy and his grace. That's the king coming and conquering you, right? Subduing you to himself, owning you, 
taking you to be his own possession, winning you to himself. That's the king. That's the Lord. That's that babe in the manger. And as that king, what else does he do? He rules and he reigns in our lives. He rules and reigns. He is everything to us. We serve him. We love him. We depend upon him. Every waking moment, moment by moment, dependence upon him. How may I serve you, my king? Shape me, mold me, change me, transform me. To be obedient to your word, to love your word. Get rid of my pride. Get rid of my ungodliness. Get rid of my selfishness. And help me to be the man or the woman that you've called me to be. That I may represent you faithfully, honestly, and truly because you're my king. And I'm in your army and I'm serving you and I'm representing you and I am yours and I want the world to know that. That's what he does as he conquers us. He loves us. He rules us. He reigns us. We want to do as well. Show me what you want me to do. Tell me, teach me, and then help me to do those very things that bring honor and glory to your name. And never may I shame you in any way. That's what it means that he is our Lord. You know what else he does? He protects us and he defends us. He does. He protects us and he defends us from the world and from the flesh and from the devil. He will never let us go because he's our Lord. There's a lot of times we run away from him like, like the, the, uh, the, the, the younger brother who took off, you know, but, but he's gonna not let us go completely. He'll leave the 99 behind to come and get that one who's straying because he loves us, because he's our Lord and he knows you and he knows you by name. A good Lord, a good King knows his subjects. Right? And he understands them. And he shepherds them and he watches over them. He rules and he reigns. He protects. He defends us from the world, from the flesh, from the devil. He defeated sin, Satan, death, and hell for us. That's why he's Lord. That's the babe in the manger who is king. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Amen and praise God. All of this. This is what makes the news so good and the joy so great. It's what sets this birth and this babe far above all others. That's why we worship him. That's why we reverence him. That's why we believe in him. That's why we serve him because of who he is. And this is why at this time of year, we take time to celebrate Christmas, the incarnation of Christ, the coming, the, the birth of the Savior. Now it's a message and I have to tell you this, it's a message, what I just preached to you is not the message you get from everything else surrounding Christmas, is it? You know, all the stories, all the shows on television. The closest one that comes is Charlie Brown at the very end when that little dude actually reads from this passage in Luke. That's really good. But that's as close as you get to the actual meaning of Christmas. But everything else is lost. This message is lost in the commercialism, in the clutter, in the chaos, in the confusion that Christmas has become. Just the way the devil loves it. There's no doubt. How many of you are already kind of just at the end of your rope and just worn out and not even happy about the season because you're so overwhelmed about everything that's going on? Instead of being focused on what's most important, especially at this time of year that the Lord's given us that time, again, every week, every day, we should be focused on the incarnation, on the life of Christ, death, resurrection. Amen. Praise God. But here at this time of year, it's kind of a concentrated time, just like with Easter, to think about our Savior. 
but Satan loves to distract from that, take take you away from that. Let's get let's get caught up in the cool stuff and the presents and the giving and you know all, all the all the busyness of of the season, all the all the all the shows on Hallmark and whatever you guys watch, you know those Christmas stories. Let's let's watch that. I'm not. And I don't want to be legalistic. Say you can't do. That's not. Don't let that distract you from what you're hearing this morning. Before you go off to do what you do, take time to think about this message. Take time to read and to meditate on this section of Scripture and on the reality. Know that unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord.